bum bum bottom 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 bum b
so, so cool. cool. <laughs> and like that, it was just a really surreal experience. And it felt like a validating experience. All this hard work that we have put into comic book couples counseling, seeing it come to life at our favorite comic book convention. I mean, it was just the best feeling ever. It just reinforced for us that what we're building here on comic book couples counseling, you know, crafting these episodes, reaching out to these people, having these amazing interviews, interacting on Twitter with other beautiful podcast people or other members mm. of the like online comic book love fest. Mm. And like seeing that momentum move into the real world was just like so uplifting yeah. and like affirming. And return to the real world, right? Because it has been three years since the last San Diego Comic-Con. And I knew this was going to be a big party event. It was going to feel a little different, but it was going to feel um, extremely jubilant. And it did. And yes, there were some new steps that we had to go through, like the vaccination verification process. But that was simple. It took 30 seconds. We went through it, got our wristband, and we we were on our way and we had to wear masks. But after a few minutes in the con, I didn't even think about the masks. Like it was like I was back at my favorite place and it, it really didn't feel that different. And because of all the steps that the convention was doing for our protection, I felt more comfortable in that large crowd. A few people have reached out to us to ask us what it's like to be at a convention in the times that we're in right now. The pandemic is not over. People are still getting sick. And Brad and I, you know, had to discuss as a family the choice to go out to San Diego yes. Comic-Con, having been vaccinated. And it was good to see that everyone was happily wearing their masks. I saw a couple of instances where... Um, masks were being enforced where, you know, small children had them down or whatever, and everybody put their mask on back on happily. I mean, I don't know if anybody had any kind of other negative experiences, but for me, I I really did get the impression that everyone was just there to have a good time. Yeah, and we did a good job chatting with the volunteers and the people on staff at the con, and it was great to get their perspective, and there has been a large turnover of that staff, of those volunteers, so there was a lot of, like, relearning how to put a convention on, and with that, there might be a little things that, ooh, it wasn't done like that before, but, you know, like, as long as you went in with an open mind and an open heart, like, these tiny little changes it wasn't really an issue. Brad and I were came out clean. We did not come down with COVID-19 from San Diego Comic-Con. We know that's not the case for a lot of people out there. So it, I hope anybody who got sick is quickly getting back to good health. And, uh, you know, for Lisa and I, we talk about this every time we go out to a convention. You know, we, we don't necessarily know if, like, we should be doing what we're doing. This is everyone's first pandemic. We're all figuring it out. But having gone to Comic-Con now and come back uh, nice and healthy, very lucky, I, I, like, I was just rejuvenated by the experience. Yeah, I feel even more comfortable, which is good because we have other big things planned. We're going to Fantastic Fest in September. We're going to New York Comic Con. We've got Lost Weekend coming up. SPX as well. So exciting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, con season is just beginning for CBCC, but let's not get ahead of ourselves. I'm not done celebrating this Comic Con because it really was the best Comic Con I've ever attended. So let's take a moment to just highlight a couple of the things that made this year so special. 
So we didn't have preview night badges. So on Wednesday, we headed over to the Comic-Con Museum over in Balboa Park, and we partook in the Beyond Amazing Spider-Man exhibit. And that place was nuts. The last time we went to the Comic-Con Museum in 2019, I feel like they were still trying to like figure out their identity. Yeah, for sure. They were really trying to make it a Comic-Con Museum and make it really about the fans and the creators coming together. Now I think they've really found their footing. And with the Spider-Man exhibit, they really had something for every single fan. They right. had, you know, relics from the movies. They had, um, you know, interactive, get your photo taken with a Spider-Man doing a fun pose kind of stuff. Which we did. Oh, hell yeah, we did. <laughs> and um, they also had, which I found so cute, like little like scavenger hunt clipboards for the little kiddos to encourage them to- Lisa was jealous. Ah, I did I, like, I did see one growing up with a clipboard. I was like, oh, I wish I had that little dignity that yeah. I could go like, I want to do the kids activity. But like the very coolest thing was getting to commune with the pages. Mm. Where, like, we've been to a couple of exhibits where they have original pages, but, like, at, at the Comic-Con Museum, they really had a little bit of everything right. from every single era of Spider-Man, from Ditko to Ramita to McFarlane, and you could really see the process change, like... Um, you would see um, smudges and coffee stains and whiteout. And, and like, they really want you to take pictures, make memories, get close. It's a religious experience for nerds like us. And it wasn't even the most religious experience that we had at the Comic-Con Museum that day because upstairs, away from the Beyond Amazing Spider-Man event, uh, was a whole floor of Dave Stevens' original art. Like, the first entire Rocketeer storyline was up there on the wall for you to look at. You could literally read, you could stand there and read it page by page directly from the hand of Dave Stevens. And if you are not familiar with Dave Stevens' art, he was like the Vermeer of comic books. Like if he wanted to, he could do a photorealistic yes picture of a street scene. In fact, there was one. Brad yes. and I walked past it several times before we realized we were walking past a painting and not a black and white photograph. Right, right. I mean, he does comics, he does cartooning, he does storyboards. He has the ability to mimic any kind of art form and they had it all there on display. They had storyboards from Thriller. But I think the most extraordinary stuff was the Rocketeer because that was, yeah, that was the exact art he wanted to be doing. I also have a special spot in my heart for all of his cheesecake art. Yes, of course. Yeah, yeah. The Betty Page stuff is like delicious. He was taken away from us way too soon. He died in 2008 at age 52. But it was so beautiful to have the opportunity to just commune with his work and realize that cartoonists penetrate Every level of media and pop culture. Absolutely. They are essential 
to every creative process. Yeah, and Lisa did such a great job writing up our experience at the Comic-Con Museum for Film School Rejects. Uh, I have links in the show notes to that article. Thank you, sweetheart. And that was one of my highlights, was the fact that you and I were writing up articles for Film School Rejects, as well as reporting for Comic Book Couples Counseling together. We would go to an event, rush to some corner of the convention center or some lobby, tip-tap away on our laptops, try to submit as many articles as we possibly could while also being frustrated that we weren't writing enough. It was exhilarating and something we've never done before uh, as a couple. I think a highlight was definitely getting to hang out with the other journalists who were there. Sure, yeah. You guys heard Kat Calamia on our Paper Girls episode. She was a guest on the podcast, and then suddenly she's sitting next to me. We're being peers talking about reporting. It was so cool. And chatting to Brian K. Vaughn and Cliff Chang. Please go back and listen to that episode if you have not already. Again, links in the show notes. Uh, but yeah, so I, I mean, that element certainly elevated this Comic-Con to something unique for us. But we were still just fanning out. And some of my highlights were standing in line and getting to get signatures and have a little face-to-face -face time with creators that we love. Oh my goodness, we finally met Gilbert Hernandez and Jaime Hernandez, Love and Rockets. We got their autographs on books, like, oh my God. They never do signings. <laughs> it was like seeing a, a unicorn yes. and a Pegasus. Yes, and I think that was the moment at the con where I was at my most starstruck and uh, fumbly, stumbly, bumbly. I, I tripped over my own shoelaces talking to Ezra Clayton Daniels mm. about Upgrade Soul. That You like, got emotional talking to I, him. Upgrade Soul is such a unique, weird heartfelt little book. And it's like, if I want to connect with you on a heart level, I I recommend Upgrade Soul. Yeah, yeah, it's a beautiful comic book. And it, like, it's the kind of comic book that ruins a whole day. <laughs> like, in the, in the best way possible. Like, you're, you're gonna be upset, you're gonna be unnerved, and uh, you're gonna be changed by it's this It's a book. great comic to read while you're waiting hour upon hour in the Hall H line, which is something we did Friday to Saturday. We slept outside to make sure that we could get to that Marvel Studios panel on Saturday evening, which we did. But again, like I say every year, the line wait is just as good as being in the room itself. And the memories you make in that line far outlast the memories of whatever trailer or panel you're about to see. Honestly, I've never felt closer to our con fam, the people that we've met specifically in line and re-meet with every single year. I, I feel like we got a lot of really quality time with Peter and with Chris. And we got to meet Marcus. Yes, Marcus. This year, and he was super cool. And, and had him. He was really cool. We've added them to the fold. Yeah, you know, let's do the shout out of the whole family, right? You know, Scott and his kids, Kale and Jake were there. And Jake's and, wife, Hannah. Hannah and Amber was there. Uh, sadly, wife Erin wasn't there and she wasn't feeling too well. So Erin, hope you're doing better. We know she's doing better. Uh, Miriam and Fatima and uh, Aisha and our buddy Brian. Then, <laughs> you know, you get into 
Hall H and you do witness the Marvel Studios panel and that amazing Black Panther Wakanda Forever presentation. And because you've been waiting so long and you haven't maybe slept so much, you're a little goofy, a little loopy. Uh, the emotional experience of Black Panther Wakanda Forever really takes over. And I mean, you know, I was a puddle during that whole presentation. Yeah, me too. Like, I love the integration of like live music. If you guys haven't looked this up online, they had African drummers, singers, dancers. It was just to highlight black culture. It wasn't even really like about the movie. It was about just being there, everybody's eyes forward, looking towards the future. It was just awesome. Yeah, and you know, to promote myself one more time, I wrote about that experience for Film School Rejects, links in the show notes, and just how it reiterates why it's worth waiting in the madness of that Hall H line to witness something like that with your con family. Honestly, like, I just loved re-engaging with the whole ritual of Comic-Con. We always end our Comic-Con on Sunday doing, like, this sad walk around the exhibit <laughs> hall all as they're doing all of the announcements in 15 minutes, the hall will close. They didn't do those announcements this year. They did one. They did one. They did one at 30 minutes. Right, at 30 minutes, yeah. And then we always take our, like, we're all like in like this cuddle, making sad faces at the camera. Yeah, I love doing that yeah, stuff. Yeah, afterwards we had a wonderful dinner with them. We also had an opportunity to have a dinner with some of our podcast friends. Yes. We finally got to hang out with the folks from Galactic Dads and the Geekly Grind, Chris from the Oblivion Bar, Lance from Comic Book Cast. That was like a really wonderful, creative uh, rejuvenation. Packs were made. <laughs> Packs were we made. We stood in a circle. We put our hands in the middle. We threw it up in the air after three and said something together. We've made promises. And I think because it had been three years since our last Comic-Con experience, our hearts were even more open than they usually are, which is pretty darn open. And we made sure to meet up with as many friends as we possibly could and to make sure that when the con was over, we still had a line of communication open to each other. And yeah, like, I mean, it was, it was beautiful. I'm going to say something like, unbelievably corny and I feel a little bit vulnerable about uh, it, but I'm going to do it anyway. This is comic book couples counseling. That's what we do, Lisa. To me, I just want to bring a little bit of Comic-Con into like my everyday life where you are trying to reconnect with people or connect with people about fandom and celebrate the joys that art brings, that, that stories bring to us every single day. Like it really does refill my love tank. Absolutely. And these skybound centric conversations you're about to listen to are in that vein. They're very philosophical. They look inward. They're conversations about creativity and empathy. And these artists really fell into that groove and, you know, took the journey with us. Up first is our conversation with Attack Peter. And if you have seen his art, you have not forgotten it yeah. because it is like nothing else out there. He's done covers with Skybound. He has prints and figures with Mondo. And he's the guy who does the linoleum block print. Yeah. So like it's incredibly dynamic and graphic. And like, it's just, 
astounding. I'm in love with everything that he does, especially the kaiju stuff, right? He was there uh, to promote uh, Takaro, the last Dorak, a new Kickstarter campaign that he is about to launch. But he also unveiled a new Mondo print, a new Godzilla vinyl figure. We actually caught up with him on Thursday afternoon after he had completed a panel on Godzilla collectibles. He was up there chatting alongside people like Shag, uh, folks from Mondo, people from Super 7. What's that pinball company that's super rad? Stern. Yeah, okay. And like that panel was so much fun. After this panel, I was like completely smitten because before Attack Peter was introduced, it seemed like they were going to have a very chill, low-key conversation about kaiju. It was like NPR talking about Godzilla. It was surreal how boring they were (laughs) insisting this panel was going to be until Attack Peter is like, hey guys, let's get excited about this thing we love. It's a little weird how chill we're all being. Yeah, and he hyped up that crowd and from that point on, like everyone woke up, including the other panelists, and it was a great celebration of Godzilla. You'll hear in this conversation that Attack Peter has a background in education, and I think he just has, and even though, like myself, he found other avenues to express his creativity, but he does have that impulse to get people excited about the thing that he's excited about. He's a total showman, and I just think he's just, like, so great. So we had this conversation literally outside the panel room in the hallway of the convention center. So I'm sure you're going to hear some hustling and bustling around us. In fact, like, as we were chatting with Attack Peter, he actually had, like, one fan off to the right who was patiently awaiting for us to shut up so he could have his one-on-one moment with Attack Peter. And we just kept rambling on and on and on. And I I could see this kid becoming crestfallen. And just before he left, we, we shut the conversation down and he got his time with Attack Peter. And it was really adorable. Here's hoping that we can have Attack Peter back on after his Takaro book comes out because he brought like this little vinyl figure of Takaro. He was the only, like at a toy panel, he was the only guy who brought visual aids. And so while we're having this conversation, he's holding Takaro chest level. Like it, like it was his baby. Yeah, I wanted to hold it. Yeah, yeah, I also wanted to hold it. But we did get a photo with him and Takaro. And then afterwards he gave us some really rad enamel pins. And stickers. And stickers. Like, we love ooh, the goodies. Best but, guess. But more than the goodies, we love the guy. Yeah, yeah. So get ready for a really enthusiastic and bubbly conversation about kaiju and elementary arts education. I think we're best friends now. (laughs) I sure hope so. Or at least I hope we have a relationship similar to the one that he has with Todd McFarlane, which is how this conversation with Attack Peter starts a random encounter he had with Toddy Mac on a train. And so a lot of the fortune in my career has been because of luck. And that's one of those things, man. Like, Gabby, my wife, sent me to go get food from the dining cart. And, you know, I'm walking up one car. The first car I walk into, the AC is broken. It's awful. And I'm just looking to make sure I don't bump into people. And I look down and I go, holy shit, it's Todd McFarlane. I go, I literally said, Todd McFarlane? Like that. And uh, he looks up. He's like, oh, what, what? And then I just sat down with him next to him. It was an empty seat. And I talked to him for like an hour. Nobody knew who he was. He was just sitting on the train like a regular old guy. Amazing. And then the best part is that we talked, he, he turned on immediately and he became like, 
you know, the Todd McFarlane guy. And then suddenly, you know, we are, you know, we are talking about everything. He's giving me all this advice. I gave him Takaro to hold. He loved it. I had all this stuff to give him to, to show him what I had worked on some image covers. And he looked, get off the train. Gabby's in another car, so she didn't get to meet him. I go, Gabby, hang out. I'll introduce you to Tom McFarland. We wait a few seconds. Gabby goes, leave him alone. He's already, been, you bothered him enough. So I said, you're right. I'm, yeah. Start walking, walking, walking. And all of a sudden I hear, hey, it's that guy with the really cool toy. He's running to catch up to us. As he does it, his luggage falls apart. All his belongings on the floor, his coat hanger breaks, all this. I'm like, oh my God, I help him pick him up. Now he transfers into like dad mode. I don't see him as McFarland anymore. It's like, poor guy I ought to help him out so we help him now he's like trying to get a taxi there's no taxis where we got off on the train so I go tell we'll get an uber he's like I don't know how to do that I don't use that I don't do that and Gabby's like we got you we called an uber we all got in the uber and go together oh. it was the most bizarre thing ever yeah yeah it was Amazing. awesome only at comic con dude it, like to me it, it's like a perfect fit for you oh because Takaro. Yes. I mean, you have Takaro with you right now. Yes. You're holding Takaro. Yes. He's yes. Beautiful. Yeah. Thank you. Um, and then you know, that, like that's what McFarland did. Like he willed this figure Dude. line into existence. I, I, when I first started picking up steam, I started watching all his talks online. You know, his interviews. That guy's energy amps me up so much. I relate to it. It's also something I worry about because a lot of people don't respond well to that energy. Like even on the panel right now, I don't know if you guys are watching it. We were. But like, yeah. I'm busting balls. I'm trying to entertain people. I mean, a guy literally said, speak up. Everybody's talking into the side of the, the mic like this and the mic's here. I'm like, I go, guys, let's wake this up. Let's have some fun. A guy stands up and says, speak up. But I could, I could tell maybe I, I ruffled somebody's feathers on the stage potentially. So I don't mean anything by it, but I'm trying to have a good time and, and pick up the energy. And I think that's what Todd's all about. Honestly, I feel like as a person who was just watching, yeah. it opened the entire yeah, panel up. Yeah. And another thing that you did that I loved is yeah. you started with just straightforward like gratitude yeah. for being well, here and yeah. gratitude for the opportunity when you busted your ass to get here. Yes. Yeah, I, I busted my ass, but I know this is all this stuff like look this is look at this the perfect example is the size of this Takaro figure versus the size of the convention center there's a lot going on there's a lot to be entertained by and there's a lot of legacy stuff that deserves its due so you know when you get tapped to do something like that yes they're recognizing that I've done a lot of work to get there but they don't have to do it and you know and they give me shots and the art style is unusual now people are like yeah we get it it's cool but at the beginning a lot of people turned it down linoleum what now you know? yeah exactly exactly <laughs> I remember in like elementary school you would get like the, the styrofoam tray yes. and you would, is yes. that where you that's well about that's this? how you first start that's how i started teaching it too i was a teacher for 13 years oh, no way. teaching art and the reason i ended up sticking with printmaking is because every year even if you didn't know how to draw the kids would get nervous in art class you know the feeling they would love linoleum block printmaking because it's so process based you do a little drawing it doesn't even have to be that good because if you carve it and you stamp it it still looks cool mm -hmm. And you get to experiment with it. And you know, that energy that I noticed in them, they were fans of the medium without any design mattering. I go, this is what we're gonna do. And it worked for me, because I was a traveling teacher at first in the sense that you don't get a classroom, get a little cart, and you push it around with all your art supplies. And the only thing I could do to work on my own artwork in between classes is have a little carving block, a little, I couldn't do my paintings, I couldn't tear down, set up would be too long, but the, 
But the process of doing linoleum block print making, it was mobile. The kids loved it. All the signs were there, like pursue this. And then of course, it's an ancient medium. I didn't invent it. It's just that in a sea of amazing artwork and product, nobody's doing that in pop culture at the time. So I go, let's see how this goes over. And it went over super well. And that's what it's been since. It's just like, following the opening doors, you know what I mean? And you've been evolving it, right? Yes. So like, we're now at Takaro. Yeah. You you have a print of Takaro fighting Godzilla. Isn't that crazy? I, I can't that. even imagine yeah, it's how bizarre. weird it must like, Pop culture is all about like nostalgia yes. and backward looking. Yes. And so you're like, well, I'm going to add to the genre. Yes. I'm going to put my stamp on yes. the genre. Yes, yes. No pun intended. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but yeah, that's the thing is like, I always think about this stuff in terms of I used to be in music. My first passion was music. I was in a band at 19 years old. I got a record deal with Roadrunner Records. It fell apart because the singer didn't want to stay around and we couldn't do anything without him, blah, blah, blah. But back then, if you were in an independent local band, you would hope that a bigger band would give you a slot to open for them. And if you did well, they would maybe ask you back. And then if you did well again, maybe they'd bump you up on the lineup. And then if you did well enough, you wouldn't need them anymore. And then, you know, sometimes people don't know your music, so you do a cover song to get people's attention and then do some originals. I have the same mentality here. No one knows who I am. No one knows if I matter or they should pay attention to me. So I'm going to say, I want to do giant monster alien stuff. Let me go kick ass and pay homage and pay respects to like the fandom that loves the stuff, Godzilla, King Kong, Gamera, and go, guys, if you dig this, I have an idea for some original stuff where we can really get wild. We have no restrictions. Do you want to see more? And that's what the, the plan has been. And it's been great because I've made so many friends along the way, joining every Godzilla Facebook group, every Godzilla Reddit, and really being a part of a community. And I, that's how all this stuff happened. Yeah. So, graphic novel then? Yes. Well, yeah, essentially, it's kind of like a narrative art book. Okay. So there's tons of art. Mm -hmm. we, are, we, we wrote and are still tweaking the story. And the story is really illustrating the, the, the origin of Takoro as a cre an alien from another planet. You know, super original. Shuttled off his planet to Earth. You never heard it before. And uh, and then the family that adopts him, right? It's like E.T., but he grows up to the size of King Kong, and then you get to go back to his home planet with him. And then so it's that. It's exploring that boy and his dog story. Like, it's like kind of like when I was a kid, I got a, a puppy pit bull showed up at our door. We didn't know what it was. It was a puppy. Like, And so we adopted it. It started growing and growing and growing. And then all the craziness that happens. And my parents trying to explain, you know that this is going to be a big dog. Look at his paws. It's going to do this. You need to walk and get a feet. And, and you don't know. You don't think about that. You just have the love for that puppy. And then the responsibility that you learn along the way raising him. You know. And imagine he turns out to be a giant monster. And there's a crisis on his planet. And you got to go back and take care of it too. And what I love about the way you first sort of promoted it on your feed yeah. is, you know, God's, I anyway, got this print, Godzilla vs. Yes. Takaro, yeah. it's a battle, it's yes. a battle royale, yeah. but they're gonna be BFFs Of course afterwards. they're gonna be friends, they're the yeah. good guys. It's like Godzilla vs. Jet Jaguar, it's like, you know, even the recent Godzilla vs. Kong, they, they, you gotta smell each other out, like two dogs meeting for the first time, but they're good, they got good hearts, they're gonna team up. Mm -hmm. So, um, what is it about that aspect of kaiju films, particularly the Godzilla films, yeah. where it's like, you start off enemies. I mean, it's a comic book thing. Yeah, too, totally, right? totally, yes. Cap versus Iron Man. Exactly. So Batman, what, Superman. What is, what is the appeal there? What, what are we attracted to in that final coming together of those titans? Man, to me, it's like it's like when you have two friend groups that don't really mix, but and maybe they've heard things about each other they don't like, and you're like, no, no, he's actually really cool. No, no, she's cool. She just comes off the wrong way. But when, if you have a party one day and everybody comes together and then they start having a beer together and then they get along and you can take a step back and let them hang out, 
that's such a fun moment. So I, I think that's the energy that we love and all that. Like they have, they're like totally alphas. Putting two alphas in the room together is tough. You know, they got to figure each other out. But when they figure out how they fit together, then you get a double, you know, mm. energy blast yeah. there. Uh, so then, you know, in the panel, you were talking about how, I mean, you've done it already. Like you've done, you've accomplished I've, everything. This is all I wanted to do. Get to the point where someone would make this. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so you're not dead. No. Yeah, you're living not in the yet. icing stage. I know. So how much it's icing all, can you take? Well, we're going to see. Look, to me, the goal has always been to get to a point where I can be, I don't want to use the word kingmaker, but I want to be able to go, I see an awesome artist there and I have a machine in place to pull them. And that's what Robert Kirkman and Skybound have been doing for me. You know, they, D David Alpert, you know, and Robert Kirkman formed this company. Dave Alpert, C CEO, sees me at Comic-Con, stops, looks at my artwork, goes, that guy. And I was doing pretty well at that point, but they go, we're gonna take everything off your plate, so all you gotta do is make the artwork and create Takaro and his story and all that and develop an IP. And then we got everything else. And I would love to be able to have enough cachet and success that I can like farm that, you know, like do that, make a farm system, draft people, you know what I mean? Because that would be the most fun. To me, it's all about like creating a party atmosphere, all your friends getting together and hanging out. Imagine like that whole Funko setup that's over there, but imagine it's all your friends. Yeah. How fun would that be? Uh, dream comes true. That's, that, that, that's the, that's the, high in the sky, like keep working towards it because it's really hard to achieve and you probably never fully get it, but you can get maybe something similar. And, and you know, you're big on community, we're big yeah. on community. Yes. Celebration, curation, discovery. Yeah, exactly. Right? And like what I like about your, again, going back to your socials, yeah. I appreciate so much about yeah. it, is you're showing people all kinds of cool things that they need to get on. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's my, that's how I am off socials. It's like, I, that's how we, I mean, the, I'm sure you guys had the Wednesdays at a comic shop vibe once in your life. You know where uh, you get, yeah. We still yeah. get it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and you get to the comic shop, and either the shop clerk goes, "Oh, he knows your pull list. He knows what you like. You got, you got to check this out." And then somebody recognized your taste enough to know what you would like. How good does that feel? That's or, intimacy, right? right there, or yeah. you can turn around to somebody else who's picked up a book that you love, and you go, "That's great, but you're gonna want to get this first. You know, that whole thing is, it's just show and tell. It's the primitive instinct we had as kids writ large with everything that we celebrate now. Yeah, yeah. You know? Um, we're going to let you go here in a second, but uh, are you familiar with Daniel Warren Johnson? Love him, dude. I haven't met him yet. We're like Skybound buddies, and I yeah. haven't met him yet. I don't know if he knows I exist. All right. So I'd like to meet him and see. Well, he's around this guy. Yeah? I feel like your... He's right behind that door. Stop Bring him out! <laughs> I feel like your vibe and his vibe dude. really... Like our great mayor. Let's start a petition right now. Get Daniel Warren Johnson to do a Takaro design uh, illustration that we can use on the Kickstarter to like raise some eyebrows, get some attention. You okay. guys talk to him about it for me. We, we okay. Will. Let him know. <laughs> Let will. him know. We'll Happy do to that. do it. All right. Cool. Yeah, I love that guy's work. I love his creativity. I also love his vibe, like the Fridays with D Dubs on YouTube. Yeah, same. What a good like. By the way, I think that show could be a product on its own because it has this almost ASMR vibe mm -hmm. to it, but like the stuff that you get to see, mm -hmm. but that's a, that is a product that's overlooked. I hate to use the word product, but in the sense that that is something that you can offer that's often overlooked and what I think about. I used to come to Comic-Con as a kid fan and even local cons in Miami and just want to talk to the artists about everything. What pencil, what paper, when do you work? Who's your influence? What should I, all that, and they're busy and they're on time and, and or some of them are kind of awkward, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. But that, is every artist should do that. Yeah. Like, like, you know, every artist should do that and give people a glimpse into what this is. Because sometimes it's not that glamorous, it's very isolating, but 
you can probably make it a real tangible path for someone who has no idea what to do. Mm -hmm. yeah. And say, I, I'm here now, I wanna get there, I had to do all this, and I'm currently struggling with this, this, and this, but I figured out how to solve these issues like this. People, That's awesome. People need kingmakers. Yes, well, and thanks, yeah, and Daniel Warren Johnson's doing a heck of a job yeah, at it, yeah. yeah. Do you yeah. have an example of an artist that inspires you that you feel like doesn't get the recognition they deserve? I put you on the spot. Yeah, no, well, <laughs> the thing is, like, they, they all get recognition in the bubble, mm -hmm. but I always, you know, because, like, for example, like, I would I always say Mike Mignola is the guy that, even at his level, I don't know if he's appreciated enough. Mm -hmm. He's definitely known here, like, legend, Mount Rushmore status. But one guy I always think about is, or there's two guys I think about. Uh, Scott Morse. I don't know if you guys know Scott Fuck, Morse. yes, I do. Fucking, br that guy, ugh. I, part of my DNA in creating, and we talk about it all the time, I bother him so many times, and so now we're, I think we're kind of cool friends now, but his setup at Comic-Con where he would just paint the commissions right. live. SPX. Bro, yeah. dude, and he, whatever, what do you want? Okay, yeah, boom. And then, by the way, just like Sumier style, like just five strokes, and there's Hellboy. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah, Six strokes, and there's the best Kurosawa painting yeah. you've ever yeah. seen. Yeah. And he's the nicest guy. He has a full-time gig at Pixar. He kind of does this for the love and fun, but it's that performative aspect always appealed to me. Because I don't want to be the guy in the basement. I want to be the guy that can just do this live, which is why we did our YouTube shows and doing live artwork. He's brilliant. His work is brilliant. I think he's criminally... He's loved by the industry, people know yeah, him, but yeah, yeah. The, the wider audience doesn't know enough about him. And then I would say James Groman, who is uh, a toy designer, okay. but he's an artist in his own right. He's responsible for some of your favorite toys growing up, Mad Balls, Barnyard oh, Commandos, okay. yeah. uh, all that great stuff, all the gory stuff. He worked on uh, uh, My Pet Monster. Oh, oh, shit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. now he's has like a, a new, like celebrated facet to his career because he's designing stuff for Mondo, he's designing figures that people buy, a small group of people know him, they buy plane tickets to come here from China, they get a lottery ticket to have a chance to pay over a thousand bucks for one of his figures. So he's loved, but it's a smaller pocket than it. He should be everywhere, James Groman. Yeah. All right, yeah. I, I, I know his work. Yes, he's got a man thing at the Mondo booth right now, oh, that giant man yeah, thing. That's, that's him, sculpted oh. by hand, no computers. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah, really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, um, so I'm gonna let you go. Uh, oh, we can hang out the rest of the day. I, I, would, I, would, I would love to. Be We're best we'll do, yeah, exactly. I, I would love we, to. We could do more online yeah, in the future. I no, 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 um, yeah. would love to. Yeah. Um, but Scott Morris, he did a charity auction for our comic book shop in Winchester, Virginia. Yes. Conan the Barbarian, uh. blank cover sketch. Next level. You have it? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. shit. And an Elvira Vincent Price. Oh, that he did. my God. So he's the best. Yeah. I, I bought best. paintings off of him 20 years ago. Yeah. And I bought one. It was 100 bucks. It was more money than I ever had in my life. I, just ha I had for Comic I saved $500 for a whole year working retail. And he, I gave him 100 bucks once. And he did uh, King Kong. Oh, it was yeah. awesome. And I, 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 I didn't like get everything I needed to get from his process. So I paid him again to do another one to watch him, oh. to do a different painting. But the best thing, the best thing ever, we got to a point where we're kind of friends. He painted a Takaro painting that is brilliant. He streamed it live, so it's Takaro by Scott Morse. And I have that framed in my studio like, you did it. You did the thing, you came full circle, and those moments are really important to me. Awesome, yeah. Peter. Well, thank you so much for oh, chatting with us. Thank Dude, you so much. What a pleasure, man. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, love meeting you guys. Isn't Attack Peter the nicest, most genuine dude? Just the best, and I am hoping that our next conversation is much longer because I really 
I just want to get into it with him. I want to touch his toys. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, I want to get in on his toys. I want a whole line of Takaro toys. I want all his kaiju designs in 3D so I can play with them. That's all I want for Christmas, Santa. Please grant it to me. I'm just imagining like little elves just like melting vinyl. I just mean, <laughs> frankly, if the Walking Dead can have such an empire, right? Like we have a ton of Walking Dead action figures. If Walking Dead can have that, I want that for Attack Peter and Takaro, right? So it's on us to get everyone hyped about Takaro to join this Kickstarter campaign. It hasn't launched yet, but you can click a link in the show notes and be notified for when it does. We've done so already. We want the Takaro book. We want the Takaro toys. And okay, yeah, Walking Dead. It is amazing. Ooh, segue. Thank you. Thank what is you. the opposite of a Godzilla big guy <laughs> stomping around? A bunch of little tiny guys eating brains. I've been reading Walking Dead comics since the first issue dropped. Um, sadly, I don't have those comics with me anymore. I sold them so we could go on vacation to Texas. Remember that? We went to the first Fantastic Fest. It all happened because I sold those Walking Dead comics, Lisa. It was worth it. Question I, mark. I missed them. I wish I hadn't done it. Uh, but the Walking Walking Dead, you know, it becomes this TV show. It's this huge mainstream hit. We get spinoff after spinoff. There's the Clementine game, which became the Clementine graphic novel from Tilly Walden, one mm -hmm. of the best books of 2022. And now we have The Walking Dead Last Mile. And we have Lisa and Brad sitting in a hallway going, what is this thing? We have to do an interview right now. Yeah, so this is, this, I like, God bless Shannon. She really hooked us up with some great conversations. Including this one. But because we were occupied with the Paper Girls cast, we couldn't attend the Walking Dead Last Mile panel, and we don't know anything about video games, and that's what this is. So what you're going to hear in this interview is Brad and Lisa learn exactly what the Walking Dead Last Mile game is as we're conducting the interview, which is the way things happen sometimes. So I'm gonna try, so this is how I explain Walking Dead The Last Mile, Brad, and you can tell me if this makes any sense. <laughs> okay, all right. So I say, uh, have you watched the movie The Hunger Games? Yes. Okay, The Walking Dead The Last Mile is like The Hunger Games Uh-huh. in that the viewers get to make decisions for the main characters. Right. Meanwhile, the main characters are dying, but instead of killing each other, they're being killed by zombies. Does that work? Yes, and commenting on the decisions of the players are hosts Felicia Day and Yvette Nicole Brown. So the way it works is this. 24-7 on Facebook, there is an online game of The Walking Dead, during which the participants, the players, earn influence points. They can then spend those influence points making um, choose-your-own-adventure-like decisions for the main characters in the game. Then, on the stream, either Yvette Nicole Brown or Felicia Day does a kind of recap of the consequences 
of the decisions that the players made. Right. And it's this grand social experiment. And that gives me anxiety. And that's what we talk about with the creators of the game, as well as Felicia Day and Yvette Nicole Brown. Now, the other thing you need to know about this conversation is that Brad and Lisa were a little confused as to what kind of interview experience this was going to be. Initially, I misread the email from Shannon and I thought it was just going to be a press conference where you show up, you raise your hand for one or two questions and all kinds of people are contributing to it. Sort of like what we did with the Paper Girls conversation that you heard last week. Uh, so we get to the room and we're met by another publicist and they say, oh, are you here to interview the crew? And we're like, excuse me? I thought this was a press conference situation. Uh, no, uh, no. And I was like, oh, is it a press room conversation? Are there multiple press people um, doing, you know, round table situation? And she's like, uh, it's God. like a round table. Yeah, she says, it's like a round table. We're like, oh, okay. It's like a round table, no problem. So we go into the room, there's like 12 tables and we take one of those tables and other people start to take those tables. And we go, oh, those other people are the other press people. And then this other publicist comes up to us and says, okay, early bird catches the worm, you guys are up first. So Lisa and I go, okay, great, we can do this, no problem. Excited to talk to all these cool people. And we start to have the conversation. And we think that we're going to talk for about 10 minutes. Right. <laughs> but after 10 minutes, the conversation keeps going. So we're, we're like making eye contact with the publicist, looking for like the wrap it up finger, which and is kind of like a circle in the air. And it's not coming. And the conversation keeps going. And the conversation keeps going. And we have this epic conversation with these really cool creators. And we get so deep into that societal anxiety that mm. this experiment called The Walking Dead Last Mile is. And it's a really wonderful, rich, and long conversation that we were not expecting because when we finally did get the wrap up, it turns out those other tables with all those other people on them, that was just more members of the crew listening to our one conversation. So this is just a comic book couples counseling exclusive chat with the creators and the hosts of The Walking Dead Last Mile. So who you're going to hear is Yvette Nicole Brown, who is sitting right to my right, wearing <laughs> this super cool emerald color floral jacket that I was like envying. Yeah. And then Felicia Day. And then there's also Jacob Novak of Genvid Entertainment and creative executive Mike Rogers of Skybound Entertainment and senior writers and producer Jessica Woodard and Matthew Ball. And of course, I didn't do the one thing you should always do when you have a group of people. I didn't get anyone to say who they were before they spoke. So you're definitely going to be able to hear who Yvette Nicole Brown is and who Felicia Day is. But the other folks, uh, you have to use context clues. And for that, we apologize. <laughs> yeah. But like, honestly, having this like I. I am not a gamer. Like, it was just not how I was raised. You put a controller in my hand, and, and I'm just, like, useless. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they managed to make me genuinely curious. I want to play the game. I want to certainly know the outcome. I want to see I want to see the papers. Lisa, I I've already the joined the group on Facebook. How cool. How cool. <laughs> and I have been watching and it has been really fascinating. Yeah, I just don't want it. I I like 
You know, I really have to, like, I really have to tend my heart garden. Like, I really want to keep my faith in humanity. And I don't <laughs> want it. Like, if I just I just don't want the last mile to kill it. I, no, it's not going to because it is a microcosm of humanity. Mm. Right. It's it, like it is a practice session for what we have to face every day in the real world. And if you want to have hope in the dark, the Walking Dead last mile will help you practice that hope. Okay. And that like, yes. So that's, (laughs) that's where we're coming from as we have this really awesome conversation with these incredibly talented creators. And I think we should just jump right into that chat. Ron Lynn, Thank and, you and so then much. I have no Thanos' shoes. Oh, I've got a whole ensemble going on. You know what? I don't know. <laughs> okay, they are great, but I have to tell you that that, okay. that two-pan sweater, that is what I live for. It's the topper. Yeah, you can't, you can't go not layered in a convention center. Right. Obviously. Hi. Hi, I love your jacket. Thank you so much. Zara, I think it's Zara, H&M, one of them. Nice. Thank you. So when we started to start the conversation, the Walking Dead, and they're introducing, you know, Mile into it. You're inviting kind of like a, like this very energetic, exciting, kind of interactive experience, mm-hmm. which invites like a thrill to, you know, participating. And, but The Walking Dead is also like such a hard environment, it's such a scary, it's such a... Uh, Overwhelming experience, mm-hmm. that human terror. Yeah. yeah. How do you mend or how do you merge those two vibes? Well, I, if I can kind of start, I, I think that um, Abe, who's like you know, our lead, one of our lead characters, I think the hope that he brings to the experience, uh, you know, no matter where it goes, like really helps for me, kind of sell that. Um, I think that, you know, The Walking Dead is dismal. It's like, it's great. Dismal is the perfect word. Uh, <laughs> but, but there is hope. Like, mm-hmm. characters have hope. Like, mm-hmm. part of the, part of the, whole, the IP is, like, is trying to rebuild and trying to figure out what it means to survive in this <clears> world. And I think that's not lost in a mile. And I think that, like, as much fun as, as it is to poke at, like, yeah, we're going to kill everyone. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I also think, like, we're going to try to save the people that we really care about, too. And, like, allowing everyone on Facebook to, to do that, um, I think it's a good bridge. I think yeah, 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 I think also, even if you come in with a cynical view about, I'm just going to kill everybody, yeah. the more you see how these characters are drawn, the backstory that Jessica has created, it becomes, you start to care. And so even if you come in cynical, if you spend any time in the mile, you're going to want to be, I believe, unless you just have a black heart and dead inside, <laughs> you're going to want to help them survive. Because that's the thing that we, when you read the comics or even if you watch the show, you want these people to be okay. That's why we're so heartbroken when someone dies in the, in the graphic novels, right? So you're now seeing the graphic novels come to life in a brand new area you've never been in, and you're going to root for them, hopefully. And so hopefully there'll be more of us that are rooting for a great outcome, and that's where the hope comes in for me. And I also think nothing brings people together like having a common adversary. Yes. And in the idea that the environment is the common adversary, and it's not just like you want them to do a good job, but we as the players all have to do a good job working together to make this situation work. They have a common bond there. And so you take that energy of coming in and the mile and the massive experience, and then you hit it with, 
now you all have to work together against some incredible threat like the apocalypse. Right. Then it it naturally lends itself. I like I don't know that there is actually a juxtaposition between that energy and mm. the the dismal nature because people are they're social creatures. We'll lend our energy to anything as long as we feel like we're on a team doing right. it, right? What has me intrigued is like a lot of the um, toxicity of fandom comes from like, well, I would make this Ooh, choice. You better say it, I would, say it. I would do this. <laughs> and so this is like a, like a show, not tell. Like, oh, you think you can make the decisions right. for the storyline. So is that part of the, is, is this an answer to that? Okay, fans, if you think you're so smart or? <laughs> I mean, I, th I think it's like the hardest core choose you an adventure MMO in mm -hmm. a way. I mean, it really is, you're right. There, a lot of the problems and the joys of fandom is that people are super invested. Mm -hmm. And now the conversation about what people consume is the narrative versus the actual narrative that's made. So people feel like their opinion is equal to what is being made. Mm -hmm. And you're right, like the fact that now you can, you know, do these bids and determine which twin dies. I mean, it, they recently picked Jamie. I don't know why they didn't like Harper. Was it the, the, the shirt? Who knows? And, but like having that kind of communal influence on the story is actually really exciting. And you know, as a, somebody who streams on Twitch a lot, you know, you see that rapport with the performance, but all performance being the streaming, but also the rapport they have with the chat. That's kind of like what this game is channeling in a really refreshing way, I think. And the other thing, too, is it might teach people that it's not easy to be the decision maker, right? Because mm -hmm. we all think that if I was in charge, if I was writing the story, if I wrote the graphic novel, this is what I would do. And now you see there's a lot of people to, to, to service. There's a lot of ideas to service. And it's when you have the two choices, it's not as easy as you think to decide what's going to happen to someone. You, you may think you made the right decision and it's the wrong decision. So you have to live with that because it will become canon in the same way the writers of the novels have to live with it. And so maybe it'll make you make them a little bit kinder mm when they're consuming content from any other creators going forward, which would be a great blessing. Mm -hmm. yeah. So the characters end up being like a filter to, you know, uh, to see everything through. And so if mm -hmm. you're, the characters help you from uh, devolving into sort of more negative aspects. We right? hope so. But of course, there's always going to be people who just, you know, trying to game, either game the system or, or kill everything or break it. That's right. what gamers do, right? right? But and it's not even just gamers. That's life. Like, that's you life, what's happening right? in the world. We, there's some people that want to build or some people that want to tear down. That's just what it is. We just hope that more good people, decent people, want to create a fun, life-affirming show. We know that death is a part of it. We know that walkers are a part of it and everybody's not going to survive. I hope we get enough people that want this to be a good experience for these people in Alaska and don't just want to come in and just tear it all down. But they can do that too. <clears throat> I, they I like, can. <laughs> I love the idea as a social experiment, especially with what we've been through right. with the pandemic. And it does feel like I need to see the numbers for human empathy. Like That's I need, me. That, yeah. yeah, that's where I'm yeah. at. I feel like um, the bid system is, I mean, it's you said it, that's life, right? Mm -hmm. And it really is because, I mean, it's it's a low stakes situation because it's fiction, but you get those moments of, I've made my choice and now I have to live with it. And right. I, I have to process like what my choices brought about. And 
I also like when we're writing the bids, we sometimes the writers we get in these moments where someone will be like, well, I don't want to give them that option. I don't want them. And it's like, you know, and then Joe comes in or I come in and we're like, but we have to give them, we have to give them the options. They have I don't like this thing with the dogs. Yeah. I, when I saw there was okay. a dog sled, there was a sled, there was a I, musher. I was like, no, you cannot hurt the dog. I was about we, to bring up the dogs. We're, some of us, I'm not going to name names because that would be underhanded. Name names. Some of us on the writing team are very protective of the dogs. And others of us on the writing team are sort of excited to see what the audience chooses to it's, do. Wow. We, we still don't know some of the motivations, though. So, for example, one of the bids two days ago that they're talking about was should they try to save the dogs? And one third of the audience said no. But, like, if I'm an audience member, possibly one of my motivations is I don't want that dog to be miserable or in right. pain. It, right, exactly. And so we, we don't know that yet. We need to see how that emerges through the chat and through the discussions and the conversations. And that's kind of like another brilliant aspect to it is decisions are then made and then you get to dissect dissect and debate debate it correct why did they choose this i like the idea of it you know because it has the video game aspect but without like nobody has the same winning like what is the winning of the game yes i find fascinating we intentionally tried to make a product that wasn't about i won this Mm. or i beat this which is also why if you look at some of the the fandom reactions some people just really want a survivor game Mm -hmm. right we're not trying to do that we're not trying to build that product. We're trying to allow for you to be part of a world and mm. feel like you've been in a moment mm. and enjoy that moment rather than try to be better at it than others right. or to beat others at it. And that is a very different experience than what you think of from a video game. It is. Yeah. yeah. But it's more like the habit. Like, I don't know who's played an MMO, but I want to just log in and see how my how my stuff's doing. You know? Right. Yeah. Oh. The stu- and the min-maxing, like, have I hit yeah. this? Have I hit this? Have I hit this? Exactly. Have I gotten all the influence points? I, I want to see all the cutscenes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Animal Crossing. Yeah. It, it, were... I'm going to get guilted by that squirrel if I don't log in. And, like, this <laughs> game has that really aspect of it, but with a lot yeah. more stakes. Yeah. So, so how is it, like, facilitating the conversation for you two? Do you find yourself finding lessons and watching what what the uh, audience chooses? I can see a lesson in anything. I saw a lesson walking from the, the, the <laughs> panel room over here. You, know, you can always grab, I can always grab a lesson in anything. And I, I see it as a massive social experiment. And you know, I, I have the ability to find empathy. These are, these are beautifully drawn characters. I was marveling at just the texture of Dylan's hair and his skin, you know, like it's just beautifully drawn. And so I can lean in when I'm watching the, cinem- the, the cinematics I'm watching a show, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? It's, it doesn't feel like a game to me, it feels like I'm watching a movie and I, I'm in it and I'm ready to take the ride, you know? So, yep. you know, it's just, I think it's a wonderful immersive experience. But what everyone. you're saying about, yeah, you're right. I mean, the characters are really well drawn and they yeah. have such interesting backgrounds and, yeah. the, and they're so diverse and fascinating. And at the same time, when you're invested in the characters, yeah you have more of an emotional yeah. connection to them. And that's what makes the daily bids and the yeah. weekly bids so much harder because I, I could see a scenario where, yeah, you know, nobody really cared about Jamie or Hart, you know, but at the same time, in six weeks, what's going to happen? Right. Somebody's, a, a character you really were rooting for right. is going to be in a situation it's, where you're like, wait, in, why right. are you doing a this lot, to me? A lot harder to be a murder machine when you really care. When you really that. care. Yeah. And, this, yeah. and this is the thing too that's great about the mile is that uh, Felicia's a gamer. I right. play games, but she's a gamer, mm-hmm. right? So there's the way we would experience this experience are totally different. Where for me, I actually don't have to go fishing. I can literally just watch it 
unfold and enjoy the entertainment that way. I, I would be the person that would just sit and just watch what happened and watch the recaps and see how everything, and, and that's just as enjoyable for someone like me as fishing and trying to get the boot would be for <laughs> getting, yep. getting that boot. Of course you're gonna get it. We know you're gonna get the boot for Felicia. So there's, there's something for everyone. And, and what I keep emphasizing about what's great about this experience is that you don't have to download it on your phone. There's been times there's a game I wanna play. And listen, I got a, a million pictures on this phone. I got a lot of stuff on this phone. I don't never, I never have space to get the game and the game not lag behind and whatever. The fact that it just lives on Facebook gaming and I can use my phone, I can go on my computer and there it is, brilliant. Yeah. In the writer's room, like you put so much love into these characters. Like, do you, do you have to like take on almost like uh, like a dark like a dark sense of humor? Is there ever like a see I told you so situation? Okay, I don't want to ruin anything. <laughs> uh -oh. But there, so uh, Stephanie and I, Stephanie's one of our writers. Stephanie and I tend to work similar hours, and so sometimes in the morning, Stephanie will ping me and will be like, "I have to tell you about this thing that I'm laughing about right now," and I'll be like, "Okay, tell me." And she will tell me some horrible thing, like absolutely wretched. And I'm like, this game is making us dark and Because <laughs> you do, you have to be like, you have to have a certain detachment to be like, let me think of like just the most gut-wrenching situation mm -hmm. that can occur. Although, I mean, there's one scene uh, that uh, I had a lot of input into that like I was writing it and I was actually like crying. Oh, I was no. like, this is, this is, I was just like, oh, and so you put yourself there for that moment, but then you back up from it and then you're like, yeah, that scene where the horrible thing happens. And are you, <laughs> and are you writing it hoping that it's never chosen? Um, or are you writing it knowing that this is going to be the end for this is going to be the end result for so someone? It's it's hard to say. Like that particular scene is is uh, there's differences in that scene, but it, it's hard to say because when you're when you're a writer and you really put your heart into something, you want people to see it, mm -hmm. even right. if it was painful. Even if it's even painful, if, yeah. Like you want people to see it. Um, and, art, art is painful. Right, and but art is painful sometimes. sometimes. The but there so are life. things that we, yeah, there are things that we put a lot of effort and energy to that I am hoping never see the light of day. Because I'm just like, oh, I really don't want that to happen. <laughs> Please, you guys, make the right choice. That, but such... it's not my, it's not my call. I mean, I get to, I get the same number of influence points as everybody else. It, it's such an important point about why this product is different than a Bandersnatch or a Telltale mm. game where there's a rewind button. Mm -hmm. Because the whole purpose is you're creating canon. Mm. And so you can't create canon if we can go back and flip the That's page. Right. Doesn't That's mean right. that the content doesn't exist. And so we've had significant debates about whether we surface what we call the what ifs of what mm. would happen. Right, it's like Schrodinger's cat, right? Like yeah. We're literally yeah. with every bid decision opening up the box and finding out what happens inside of it. Mm -hmm. But I suspect we're gonna find the majority of people are gonna work toward helping and saving. I hope that's true. That would be I great. Too. I, I think true. it is. We're an optimistic bunch. I love it. I love it. And, and, but when you watch The Walking Dead when Glenn dies, oh, right, yes. it's awful. Darkest moment. It's such a devastating moment. And it was done to us by the writers. Yes, it was. <laughs> right. It's true. Now, with this interactive element, you have an opportunity to be disappointed in the choices that <laughs> humanity yeah. your own fault. It's dangerous right now for you know for my mental health sometimes to where we are right now in this country mm -hmm. to be disappointed by uh, humanity. The, yeah, by humanity. Yes, you're right. And so I, yeah, I mean, I think there's a I think there's a real 
real reality that it's a social experiment, right? Like we're, we're going to, there may be days that we wake up and we're like, why? But, why but also it's kind of a reflection of humanity. And like, you know, if you get complacent, then people who you don't agree with are going to Make have their dominant. And like then you're going to be yeah. like, hey, we got to rally. Yes. We have to yeah. get together. And I think it's a direct reflection on what happens That's in life, really good. right? That's good, that Felicia. That really is. You know, we've been talking about like, you know, does art change people or is art really a rallying cry for the yeah, like-minded? Do, is, does, mar- does art change minds? Yeah. Yeah, yeah it do- absolutely does. I think so. Oh, for sure, yeah. Yeah. I mean, nice. it's a purpose, I think. Because, you know, if you listen to someone lecture someone about like a certain issue, but then you see something fictionalized where you live through another person's experience and you mm-hmm. see a different aspect of life through a fictional... It, it, it I think, can get... It can resonate with you more. Yeah, I think. And you're offering an opportunity for people to reflect on the decisions that a group is making. Right. Mm-hmm. And you know, maybe I contributed to that decision, and now I regret that decision. Mm-hmm. Or, or I love the idea of like bringing up the choose your own adventure and doing like this is high stakes choose your own adventure. No flipbacks. Oh wait, life is a high stakes choose yes, your own adventure, correct. and there are no flipbacks. Right. Correct. And how many 100%. times in your life have you made a decision that you wish you could go back and change, and you Every can't, day. or seen a friend do something that you gave them advice and they didn't listen to you and they did it? So it's kind of like a microcosm of what we experience in life. And hopefully, if again, if someone comes in and they're flipping about this wonderful thing these people have created, they will see the outcome and they'll feel a little bad about it. Yeah, and maybe they'll make better decisions. That's the whole point of life. You make mistakes, you learn from them, and you try to do better. Mm-hmm. So hopefully, that's what the end result of the mile would be. Even if you start off a little flippant, by the end, you're like, I really want this person to win. I'm going to make better choices and bid differently. We're we're working on version <clears throat> three and version four of bidding right now that will launch in the coming months based off of the lessons from the mm. open beta. But right now, you're not seeing the ways in which individuals contributed to the bids. So you're going to start to see actual leaderboards and moments generated by wow. it. So you're going to blame somebody? Like, yes. hey, you, you'll see, <laughs> and there's the shame. You'll see the shame. who was the top of it. And each one of these bids will become a moment. There and so go. we're going to create a timeline of your moments and a timeline of your influence. And so you'll be able to log back in and see, this is how things I participated in affected walking in. And I was the top contributor to this bid. So I was the most influential inside of it. Mm. We're also going to be marking them because we, we saw from last week's bid that we didn't do this enough. Is this life or death? Mm. Is this a major choice? Right? And so we'll start to put proper labels behind this in, in coming weeks. And when you look at the past bids, it'll say this is the context, this was the bid decision, and by the way, this is what the outcome was. And so we're going to tie the videos and the visual novels Good. that are there into the bid so when you look at your timeline, you will see that entire Good. collage. Oh, that's cool. Good. So it's not anonymous. Correct. That's Good. where it's going to go. And they don't even know that it's not anonymous yet. I so love people that. are going to love that. it. I like that. Yeah. I always imagine when I go to heaven, I get to see my stats. Do you <laughs> yes. know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, if that's, what's the point of doing this if you don't get to find out what your stats are when right, you get up there? Right. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. That would be my first question. Yeah. Cauliflower related. Yeah. No, I want that Google map that shows you everywhere you've gone. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Mine would be to the kitchen. <laughs> well, I would go there a lot, yeah. but like sometimes I would come to San Diego. Yeah, true that. Mm-hmm. That's true. True that. So, Walking Dead as like a brand, as a franchise, as an idea, 
what what has to happen in a Walking Dead experience to make it a Walking Dead experience, not just a zombie adventure? Yeah, yeah that's good. Well, good question. You know, you know, outside of <clears throat> walkers and just sort of like the rules of like how they work and things like that, and, and you know, like if you get bitten, like you're gonna turn. It's not like a bite and an instant turn. Like, there's all that stuff, right? Mm. But I think it's really more about like the human experience and mm. and keeping it realistic, keeping it sort of authentic. And you know, I, Jessica, you know talk forever i think about the authenticity of these stories <laughs> wow and <laughs> i mean you just have forever. so much to say um about making I these characters yes. <laughs> I, I think it all comes back to the characters and making them feel believable and making them feel like not just like characters you're watching but like real people you know yeah and um and having them be flawed as well like they're not there's no there's no superhero in the walking dead right there's just people mm-hmm. and i think that's what separates for me at least walking dead from other zombie content um it's just it just feels grounded and 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 that's kind of always what i what i harken back to when i'm I'm reversing any sort of walking dead project um what have we not covered anything what have we not covered anything (laughs) the live streams yeah 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 what do you want to know about the live shows well, so well, let's talk about the live shows because it becomes like a we were saying earlier, like a sporting event almost, mm-hmm. right? And there's a ton of excitement to it. So, how do you prep for, you know, the live stream? Well, first of all, the producers of this entire mile are brilliant, mm-hmm. and so we we have everything we need. It's almost like they leave us breadcrumbs for every step of the way. We get to have a great rehearsal before we go live. Um, and then, you know, playing the game and, and knowing what's happening in the lives of the, of, of the people in Alaska helps. Um, but for me, we, we've each hosted one now. Mm-hmm. For me, it's just making sure that everybody has a good time. And, and, and what I love, again, what I say, what I love about the mile is that there's a way into this experience for everyone. So there might be people that are not playing the game every day, but they want to come and do the live stream and find out what happened. Kind of like, tell me what happened on my stories. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So um, my hope is when, when I do my streams that they get to have a recap of what happened and maybe that'll excite them enough to go, well, I'm gonna dip a toe in, I'm not a gamer, but the way they describe these bids, I wanna figure out what it is. So it's kind of a way to introduce people in because Felicia and I both have different skill sets. We both are hopefully great hosts, but the way I, you're amazing (laughs) hosts. But the way I come at a, a property or a show is different than the way she would come at it. So I'm, I want the story. I want to, you know, they yeah. fall in love with somebody and see, you know, I, mean, I want different things like that. Whereas she's like, I want to fish. Yeah. I want to, you know, what I mean, it's a different thing. And so wh- whatever your way into the mile is, there's one of us can take you through that, yeah. or we together can take you through that, or one of the guests that shows up for the stream can take you through that. So I just love that there's something for everyone in this mile, and I just hope that as days go by, more and more people will find a way in and enjoy what, what we've all created and what we're creating day by day. No, I love that. And you're, you're absolutely right. Like you're so story focused. Mm-hmm. You're so passionate about this world. And I, I mean, I love stories, absolutely. I love the world. But I'm very excited because as you can hear from Jacob, like this is a constantly evolving yes. product. And I love the fact that not only the story is constantly evolving, the gameplay, the gameplay. and the way that he and the team uh, are thinking about how the audience interacts with the game you can see they're adding things all the time. Mm-hmm. They're subtracting things, they're refining. And that is just so fascinating to see in an ongoing way um, as game mechanics and responding to the audience and their behavior. And I yeah. just feel like it's so focused and attentive and it's just a, a glimpse. I, I feel like it's re- pretty unique mm-hmm. and that they're really massaging and refining something that I think is gonna 
be a really impactful um, uh, template for gaming. Yeah, I love that we're on the cutting edge of what it's about to be. It's so exciting. Well, and you two have a, an opportunity to really steer the narrative also mm -hmm. by encouraging, you know, people to do, yeah. make certain choices. I mean, listen, I will save those dogs, okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. If I can do anything. I'm Same. relying on you to save Same. those dogs. I'm, I'm not streaming for a little bit, so yeah. I'll get in there. Whenever I, I'm in there. Yeah, and whenever I do my, my I do voiceovers at, for the recaps, I always try to add as much gravitas as I can to the decision that they made. You know, if someone dies, you're going to hear me a weep in my voice that we've lost this person. So again, if someone is flippant about it, like sometimes you've got to make a bad decision and somebody's going to die. That's different. But when you're just like, I don't care. No, no. no. Like these are, I'm, I'm seeing these as living people in Alaska trying to make it. And I want to give them the best shot possible. And so when I'm doing a voiceover, I'm letting people know, y'all killed somebody. Mm -hmm. Your decision killed somebody, and this is the aftermath of what happened. And I want them to feel it so that they will make the, the, the prop, not the proper, there's no proper decision, but they'll at least make a decision that they've thought about. And they've weighed, I want them to weigh, when you look at that bid, I want them to be like, oh, what could happen if I do this and if I do this? I want them to actually think about it and be in the mile. The original pitch deck for the project had a slide called Storytelling the Skybound Way, and it was like, we're going to make you cry. There it is. Oh, there it is. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Well, if the, anything happens to dogs. Oh, I'm crying if something oh, happens boy, to dogs. Well, I... <laughs> so, I mean, I, I'd like to actually like explore that a little bit, because we have this conversation because we're huge dog lovers, dog talk lovers, yeah. TikTok dogs. It's like our jam. Love it. What is it about the threat to an animal yeah. versus the it's people true. in the walking den. The, the, really... the, listen, I'm going to speak for every dog owner or lover yeah. at Thank this table. You. The thing about dogs that is so amazing is that their love is so unconditional. Mm -hmm. They are just so happy to see you and, and they love you and they're just there with you. And I, if I have a cold, my dog just sits and, and, wa and watches and makes sure I'm, I'm okay. And then when I found out, not to be TMI, the reason they follow you to the bathroom is because they know that at that moment in the wild, that is when you're the most vulnerable. And so they follow you to the bathroom to make sure you survive your pee. <laughs> and so when you think about it, it's less intrusive to have your dog follow you to the bathroom when you realize they're there to protect you. So there's something about the idea that they would give their life to make sure that you eliminate correctly or positively. Something about that just touches my soul. And so. That's the love, it's unconditional. And, and even if you love a person, there's some stuff. You can love your mama, your mama said something at some point to hurt your feelings, right? So it's not fully an unconditional love affair, but with dogs it is, so that's what. I, I agree with you, I have a dog. Yes. I've had dogs, mm -hmm. um, I, I love dogs. I also think it's the innocence. Yes. Like when we're talking about a story that's fundamentally revolves around choices, mm. and you're talking about the difference between a human and a dog because you like people make choices and yeah. whether it's the players making the choices or the people in game mm -hmm. who make a choice that like got plot scripted in or whatever people make choices and so to a certain extent you're like okay well you were in control of that right dogs babies like we view them as innocent and like we don't want to see them suffer because of the choices that someone who was someone in control made. of the situation right. made right mm -hmm. Talk about like flawed characters in The Walking Dead. The dogs are flawless. Mm -hmm. flawless. The dogs are flawless. Absolutely. 
And that kidding. time, dogs get bits. Dogs get bits. I, dog absolutely. Bits. Well, what I really want is a pet the dog animation because you can see them <laughs> yes. in the dream. Yes, so badly. Oh. Can that just be a mini game where you get influence points for petting? We, we've discussed this. Oh, we have discussed the pet, so pet the dog mini game. Yes. Petting. All day. Right. Yeah. No, we we really have had those conversations. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, we have. But well, we we can talk to Natalie. Make and get it happen, it on the list. please. Yes, we want we want pet the dogs. Oh, well, the dogs. we bought into the social experiment. Nice talking to you. Thank you. Thank you. Bid thoughtfully. Bid thoughtfully. I beg you. Hashtag bid thoughtfully. That sounds great. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yes, hashtag bid thoughtfully. I'm just going to like fold that into my being. That is going to be words of affirmation for me because Walking Dead Last Mile is just a reminder that every decision we make is a bid towards a better future. Yeah, and I love your, you know, uh, metaphor with the Hunger Games. It does have like a Hunger Games quality, but don't you think if we're going to do this grand social experiment, The Walking Dead is actually the best metaphor for that experience, stemming from George Romero's undead societal concern and distrust toward humanity? This is the battleground to be having these conversations. Yeah, I mean, like... Video games are just another avenue for stories. And right. stories is the place where we practice caring. Right. Like, if we are going to make horrible, selfish, terrible, dog-murdering <laughs> decisions, let's do it hypothetically, okay? Yes, of course, absolutely. <laughs> another beautiful moment of empathy in this conversation was Yvette Nicole Brown talking about how the selfless thing to do is to allow your dog to watch you poop. Like, where <laughs> yeah. she's like, when a dog is watching you poop, it's not because of the human reasons someone may want to watch you poop, judgment-free zone. You know, it's... Right. The, the dog has their own reasons for being there. And, what like... Why not just make the dog more comfortable? They yeah. are there for they it doesn't mean the same thing to them. And besides, we get to watch them poop all of the time. And that's what's so cool about The Walking Dead Last Mile is that added element of Felicia Day and Yvette Nicole Brown fully buying into the concept and wanting to have these conversations about these decisions being made by the gamer. You know, I tried to start this conversation in a very rambly, awkward, circular fashion, talking about the collision between The Walking Dead and sports. But Felicia Day and Yvette Nicole Brown aren't just you know, commenting on the moves and the plays. They are digging into the ideas behind the moves and the plays. Obviously, as you can hear in this conversation, Yvette Nicole Brown and Felicia Day really want to go to these philosophical realms with The Walking Dead. And they're the reason that I have curiosity and why I joined the Facebook group. That being said, I do have a new respect for sports. And I think that sports are just <laughs> another story too. Uh, when you say sports, you're talking about Frogger. 100% I'm talking about Frogger, <laughs> the best sport on television. I tried to sell it to, to Brad's Uncle John. Uh, he was not buying no, it as a sport. No, no, no. Uh, but I will, Lisa. I think Frogger <laughs> is a sport. It's incredibly athletic and dramatic. And that is how we are going to conclude 
our epic run of San Diego Comic-Con International episodes. I hope you've really enjoyed these last couple of weeks. This was something we have never done before, and it is proving to be quite successful. So thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing these episodes. If you have not heard our previous chats with folks like Matt Kent and James Asmus and Jim Festante or Scott Snyder or Tom King and Elsa Chartier, please go back and listen to them. We are so proud of everything that we got done at Comic-Con this year, and we want everyone on the world, on the world, on, on the, the world. planet, yeah. to, it's the yeah. same thing, to listen to these episodes. Also, anybody underground in the world, <laughs> we want you listening to. Yeah, yeah. And giving us five stars yeah, on yeah. Apple, Apple Podcasts. Yes, please, 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 please. So next week, we are going to return to our regularly scheduled program, our session with Angela and Sarah, as we discuss the Marvel comic series, Angela, Queen of Hell. It will be our conclusion to our Angela and Sarah sessions, and I'll be sad to say goodbye to them as well. But we won't be saying goodbye to your inability to say the word regularly. <laughs> or particularly. 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 Regularly. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Uh, all right. Thanks for humiliating on my podcast, Lisa. I love you. <laughs> so are you ready to kick off our outro? Uh, I'm too busy trying to get tickets for next year's Comic-Con. Oh, oh. Where can I listeners send their words of affirmation to you? Oh, that's that's some painful truth. Uh, you can find me on all social medias at MouthDork. If you have words of affirmation for our logo, you can send them to Aaron Prescott at A Cool Hand Fluke. And if you have some words of affirmation for our radical banner art and show posters, send them to Karen Charm at Karen underscore X-Men fan. Lisa, where can our listeners send their words of affirmation to you? I am always accepting words of affirmation at Sidewalk Siren on Instagram and Twitter. If you'd like to spend more quality time with us, you can subscribe to us on Podbean, Stitcher, YouTube, Google, and Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to get exclusive, mm. you can join our Patreon, where you'll get more content, including weekly bonus episodes. If you'd like to reach out and touch us electronically, you can email the podcast, cbccpodcast at gmail.com. We will get to your emails. I know, I know we've been letting them build up over our vacation, but we see you. We will get to them. Uh, but you can also visit our website, comicbookcouplescounseling.com. Leave us messages there. And yes, we see those as well. And we will get to those as well. Uh, or you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at CBCC Podcast. You can give us the gift of five stars on Apple Podcasts. And if you'd like to do an act of service, why not write a review of the show while you're there? We are fluent and receptive in all five love languages. It really warms our hearts and helps the pod. So until next time, friends, keep your love tank full. And your psychic rapport open. Doopy doopy.